You are now listening to the Hot Take Podcast, brought to you by Full Time Fantasy. Here are your hosts, Stephen Taroni and Josh Daddy. Time to make it hot. Welcome in. This is the Hot Take Podcast, and we are back and better than ever. Super excited tonight to talk to you guys about our first episode after the NFL Draft. We're going to give a little bit of a draft recap today, but we're going to do it in a different flavor. So we're going to talk about a league that I created. Uh, It's called the Hot Take Inaugural Pros versus Joes Dynasty League. Um, everybody's got startup fever right about now. So I figured let's, let's do it. Let's do it big. Um, so we're going to talk about that and also give you guys a draft recap, talk about some good fits here. Um, talk about who are the winners and losers. Um, and all while talking about different teams that we drafted, um, getting some perspective on our draft process. I am joined by my co-host, Josh Daly. Josh, how you feeling tonight, bro? Feeling good, man. You know, but we've been taking our temperatures every day and, you know, so far I'm, I'm good on that thermometer, but yeah, man, I got the startup fever. I got the rookie draft fever. I got all the other fevers though. So it's, uh, it's, it's definitely good, good to be here after the draft. Going to talk, uh, talk a little NFL draft, talk about the startup we just did and, uh, excited to have Roto Frank on to talk about, of course, one of our, one of our league mates, our buddy from CBS fantasy. Um, Frank, how you doing tonight? Man, I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk about some fantasy football. I've been covering fantasy baseball the past month or so with CBS sports. So I'm excited to talk about football again. And, you know, I told people on that podcast to draft responsibly, you know, uh, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble right now, just joining a bunch of dynasty drafts. And that's exactly what I did. I joined this dynasty draft with you guys. I I joined a dynasty baseball draft. So I've got you know, multiple drafts going on at once. So, you know, I should have taken my own advice, but I'm happy to be here and happy to talk some football. Oh, man, we're going to get the, the message from Frank. Like, hey, guys, sorry, I'm in too deep. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in 52 <laughs> leagues. Um, I got to get out of this one. No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, I'm in, man. I'm here. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, well, with that team that you drafted, which we'll get into, I don't think you're going to walk away from that one. Um, but I'm also excited to introduce to you guys a good friend of the show, Coach Ben Eby. Of course, he's Coach Ben on uh, Twitter. Um, how you doing tonight, Ben? And I'm excited. Excited to uh, jump on the first ever uh, podcast here for me. So I listened to a ton of the shows. Obviously, we talked a lot about uh, football and basketball and all of the above, uh, you know, over the last year and ready to rock it tonight. Yeah, Ben is, uh, I've been naughted you as my dynasty consultant, um, <laughs> because this is obviously a redraft show, um, and going, commissioning my first dynasty league, I, I needed my right hand man. So I appreciate you helping me with everything. Now, if you don't know, uh, you guys can follow, uh, Ben over at Mr. Underscore EB on Twitter. Um, he gets involved in all the Scott Fish leagues. Um, he's an awesome voice in the dynasty community right now. Um, and he is one of the Joes in the pros versus Joes hot take league. So we're going to get some good insight from him today. Um, Josh, 
Start us off, man. We want to get into our favorite fantasy relevant player and why they're the best fit for their team that drafted them. So, you know, it was very interesting this year in the draft. You know, obviously us fantasy guys, we're looking for those skill positions and we, you know, offensive linemen. Okay, that's good. We're always thinking about it from a fantasy perspective. Okay, good. Yeah, you know, the Colts drafts an offensive lineman. That's great for this guy, that guy. Um, but when that team drafts a fancy relevant player, you, you initially, you're, oh, that doesn't work. Or you're like, okay, yeah, I can see that. So who jumped out at you as a good fit uh, on draft day? So we knew going into the draft that the 49ers were probably, or at least everyone thought, you know, one of those two picks, there was rumors they were going to trade them. You know, they, they, they did, they, they, there was some trading involved, but you know, they ended up uh, trading back and taking a defensive lineman. Well, that doesn't, you know, really get anybody excited. And so when all of a sudden they, they come back and they trade up for Brandon Ayuk, man, I got super excited. Like my, my eyes perked up and, you know, I just feel like kind of his short yardage game that he brings to the NFL. I have already thought that that was something that would translate into the program and just seeing him go to this Kyle Shanahan offense and just kind of the things that he's able to do after the catch, I really think it's just a phenomenal fit for this offense. Um, you know, th- these are very efficient targets, which we know Jimmy Garoppolo likes to uh, get the efficiency. So, uh, you know, he's, he's not going to be setting any passing records, but when he can chuck the ball to a guy like Ayuk, you know, they hand the ball off to Debo, uh, I mean, this this has become, you know, a really, really sexy offense, I think, with the addition of Ayuk. Um, you know, of course, they do lose Matt Breida, but um, but still, I, I like, you know, Kyle, Kyle Shanahan, it has to be excited to have this guy at his disposal. I'm a big Michigan State guy. I actually got my Michigan State hoodie on right now. And, uh, man, Brandon Ayuk, uh, when, when he was the wide receiver one at Arizona State, I mean, he – he was a baller against the Spartans and he, you know, he kind of caught my eye then and seeing him in this landing spot, it has me excited from a fantasy perspective. That's for sure. Yeah. So, uh, in 2018, he shared the stage with Enkeel Harry, who was a lot of people's consensus wide receiver one, uh, going into 2019, uh, you know, and last year, 65 receptions, uh, over 1,100 yards, eight touchdowns for Arizona State. He is a lot like Debo Samuel in that you get the ball to him in short yardage and he takes it to the house. That's what you want him to do. Um, he's like kind of has that running back style, uh, just like a Debo. It's kind of like that new age wide receiver that we're seeing. You know, A.J. Brown is that guy, too. You want to get him the ball on that slant and you want him to get all that yak and Ayuk is that guy. No, we were talking off air. The Colts did everything to make this a Phillip rivers friendly offense. Well, that's what Kyle Shanahan is doing for his quarterback and Jimmy Garoppolo. He's getting receivers that can get the ball. They don't have to, you know, we're not going to make Jimmy make a throw, just get it to your skill positions and let them work. And that's what they want out of Ayuk. I think that there's the jury's out. And I'm on the side of, I think AU can be better than Debo. I think I'm in the minority. Frank, talk to me. I mean, am I, am I, am I too high on AU or you think that he has a trajectory of being better than Debo? 
Man, it's tough to say because I, I think your your call there is spot on that these receivers are very similar and I actually have Debo in a keeper league. So I actually hope you're wrong because I want Debo Samuel to be awesome. But uh, look, they do Debo. similar. They do a lot of similar things. And you mentioned Ayuk is yak after the catch. You're right. Like what they want to do with Jimmy G is just have him throw a lot of short yardage passes. We saw it in the Super Bowl. You don't want Jimmy G throwing the ball down the field. Get it to Kittle, yak. Get it to Ayuk, yak. Mm-hmm. Get it to Debo. Uh, but the thing for me is that you're kind of hoping that IU can do something similar to what we saw Debo do in his first year. So I think it might be a little bit premature to kind of label him as better than Debo from the get-go here. Just because, I mean, you don't really see rookie receivers have much success in year one. But Debo did. And he did it as a rusher. He did it as a receiver. He did it, you know, in prime time in big games against the Ravens. He did it in the postseason. So... You know, I want to see it before I before I make a claim like that, but it's going to be tough, man. Debo Samuel's a baller, man. For sure. Ben, you feeling the same way about Ayuk? Uh, are you feeling like that we need to see it first and maybe those expectations are a little high if we think he's going to be Debo 2.0? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm definitely excited uh, to see what's to come, but I, I haven't picked him up in one of my drafts yet. Um, I think he's going a little bit too high for me um, around the other wide receivers you can get at that spot, you know, in that early to mid second round spot. So um, I haven't seen him fall to that 2.08, 2.07 where I'd probably think about him. Um, but there's a ton of talent there. So obviously Shanahan knows how to get playmakers the ball. So um, it, it's definitely an interesting landing spot. It could blow up, but I think Debo uh, did a great job and, and, Jalen Hurd, man, that's still a guy. If, if he's healthy, um, you know, I know it's a long shot, but that guy has some talent as well. So, you know, matching it with those other playmakers around, I could, you know, I'm just not sold on Jimmy G, um, you know, running an offense with, with that many playmakers where everybody's going to absolutely eat. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, receivers on this, in this receiver room. And, you know, Dante Pettis is still there. Kendrick Bourne is still there. Um, you can laugh at the mention of these names, but they like Kendrick Bourne. They like using him in the red zone. They like throwing Jimmy G through, uh, I think it was five touchdowns to him last year. Um, Dante Pettis, he's still trying to find his way. You know, um, I think that Richie James is the odd man out now that they drafted Ayuk. But I've said it before with the 49ers, they are not committed to any one receiver to feed him 120 targets. That's not this offense. That's not going to be this offense. So if you look at Ayuk as a guy who can be that alpha one, maybe, maybe he can usurp Debo, but what is that ceiling? Is it 120 targets? I think that's, that might be a little bit bold. I think that is potentially his ceiling, um, but you know, he's not going to be a guy that's going to get 140. That's just not this offense. That's not the style of offense that Shanahan wants to run. Right. Um, any final words on Ayuk before we move on, Josh? No, I just, uh, just excited. You know, I, I also love Debo, but it's, uh, it's going to be, I think this offense is going to be a lot more exciting than it was last year. I, I don't know if they're going to try to pound the rock quite as much. I know they did, uh, they did add Trent Williams in place of, uh, Joe Staley. So kind of, uh, you know, prolongs the, how that offensive line being a little bit better. So we'll see, man, it's going to be exciting to see how it pans out. Yeah, that offense can be interesting. I mean, they got rid of Burita in one of those trades that you mentioned. Uh, but Jarek McKinnon, people are forgetting about him, rightfully so. Uh, you know, but look, if he can get healthy, um, you know, he may have even more time to get healthy. 
obviously due to the pandemic, um, he could be a guy that's in the rotation. And I think that, you know, in your dynasty startups, he's a great pick right now because you're not going to have to pay anything um, and you can just get him. I mean, Tevin Coleman, very uninspiring, right? Um, it looks like they're going to run with Raheem Mostert as their main dude. And, you know, how, how much can you rely on Raheem Mostert, who would, could barely making teams, you know, was a special teams guy, right? So McKinnon could be in a good situation. And it was kind of what Shanahan wanted from the beginning when they signed him. So very interesting name there. Ben, talk to me about your guy. Uh, where's the good fit for you in this NFL draft? Yeah, I think uh, this one might be a little more obvious one, but it's a guy that, you know, I'm I'm looking at taking even before a CD lamb and that's, that's Jalen Rager to, uh, to Philadelphia. I, I think uh, going into the draft, I was excited for any of these talented rookie receivers to land in Philly. Um, but to see a guy with that type of speed and then digging in deeper, that type of untapped talent, um, I could be more excited to, to see that landing spot. Um, you know, for me, you know, just just talking about Wentz, obviously him staying healthy is is a big part and and probably was one of my main concerns uh, with the top receiver going there and uh, who's going to back him up. But now to see them pick up Jalen Hurts, I think that's a super underrated move. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not a great move for a super flex draft or, or anything like that, but I really think it's it's a big move and, and we could see that pay, up, pay off as, as soon as this year, uh, just with how, how uh, Wentz has been with health over the years. So super excited just to see that big playability. I think Rager, you know, a lot of people think of obviously speed, 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 but he also flashed a lot of ability to go up and, and win a lot of these jump balls and and play a lot bigger than his size as well. So that's exciting. You know, you think about uh, Rager uh, in, in college, the QBs that were thrown to him is Kenny Hill, Sean Robinson, and and Max Dugan. And that's tough overall, you know, between all those um, years of, of catching balls from those guys, 59.8% of those passes were, were ranked as catchable. So that ranked uh, in all of FBS 426 out of 436 uh, teams there. Uh, absolutely atrocious. Um, and that guy still popped. Uh, you look at Wentz just last year, he was at uh, right around the 83% mark for catchable passes thrown. So I think this is a guy that we're really looking at uh, as potentially um, one that you, you might be upset if you passed on him, you know, even over some of these uh, running backs that even I've been drafting. I think Rager is just uh, ready to explode. There's so much talent there. And, and I'm definitely looking for that guy that has an opportunity to learn uh, from a guy like Deshaun Jackson as well. I think another uh, underrated piece where he's going to learn from a, a veteran that's um, done some great things along the way and, and just continue to build on that. So you're telling me that Rager went through the same gauntlet that DeAndre Hopkins and Allen Robinson had to go through in their early pro careers with terrible quarterback. And it's, it's interesting. <laughs> so that, I mean, you know, that you have to look at that and he, he's going to be in a great situation now. What I will say, regardless of what you think about Rager's talent, the Eagles are going to do everything to make themselves look good. And what I mean by that is this little tit for tat that the Cowboys and the Eagles have in the draft the past few years, CD lamb was taken from the, by the Cowboys and they knew that the Eagles were looking at CD lamb. The Eagles had to get Rager. He's in a perfect situation to get fed a lot of volume. Um, I think they're going to do everything in their power to set him up for success. 
And you have to love that by an organization. Like if you know, like I look at somebody like Denzel Mims, who I think we were all very excited about. We love that raw talent. We think that he can be, you know, a, a Josh Gordon-esque type of player at Josh Gordon's best. But I, I'm not convinced that Adam Gase and the Jets organization are going to set him up for success, right? I think that the Eagles will do everything that they can to put Rager in a situation to succeed. Um, Frank, how are you feeling about Rager? How were you feeling before the draft? And then how are you feeling about this fit? Yeah, so I love the fit. Uh, you know, I almost... I almost chose Rager as my best fit here as well. Um, and I just think in terms of redraft, I know that we're talking about this more from like a dynasty perspective, but I think he's the top rookie wide receiver in redraft this year, just in terms of opportunity targets, offense that he's in. Uh, Doug Peterson does a great job of getting his playmakers, the ball learning from Deshaun Jackson. I thought that was a great point. Um, no, I love this fit again. I think he's the wide receiver one in redraft this year. The speed is there. Uh, he's been comp to a Deshaun Jackson. I think that there's opportunity. Alshon Jeffrey getting up there in age, like 50 years old at this point. Uh, so big fan of this landing spot for Jalen Rager. And you guys were touching on Denzel Mims and the Jets. And I could just tell you guys, as a Jets fan, as long as Adam Gase is there, it's not going to work for Denzel Mims. I'm just oh. telling you that right now. Sorry. Don't guys. tell me that. Don't tell me that, man. <laughs> Sorry. Now, weren't you trying? You were gonna. You were trying to trade with me to get that two of three. You were gonna take Mims, right? I was going to say that was kind of my Homer pick. Admittedly, I did want to go. I wanted to take rug, uh, rugs and Mims back to back. So I would have had the back to back picks there and I did end up getting rugs, but uh, yeah, that was, that was more of a Homer pick and that's more so for the future. Cause I assume, I hope that <laughs> the jets have a bad year and Adam Gase is gone. And then whoever comes in next helps out Denzel Mims. I, I just, I have no trust in Adam Gase whatsoever. And, and you're completely correct in that, in that thought process. Um, uh, Josh, talk to me about Rager. Uh, do you agree with, with Frank? Is he the, the rookie wide receiver one in redraft for this year? I mean, I almost put him down as my pick um, because I feel like if there was one thing that the Eagles offense was missing last year, it was speedy receiver. Um, you know, they counted on you know, years before, like two years ago was Mike Wallace and he was out for the season last year was Deshaun Watson and, or uh, Deshaun yeah. Jackson. And he missed the, missed the season, you know, then they add in the course of what, two or three days, they add Rieger, Hightower, uh, John Hightower, Quez Watkins and Marquise Goodwin. And I think Hightower is the slowest one. I think he's like a four, four, two 40 or something. like that. <laughs> so, right. so, you know, they, they essentially took a weakness and, it, you know, I would argue that it's a strength now with, with this many, this much depth at outside receiver and guys that can just absolutely take the top off the of defense. So, um, you know, when you add Rieger and Goodwin, I know Goodwin, you know, might be one concussion away from, you know, yeah. uh, not playing again. But, um, you know, one of the reasons I, I liked Ayuk is because Goodwin's gone and um, still kind of crowded in, in, you know, both these places. But Rieger, awesome landing spot, man. You can't, uh, can't argue with the potential. Like I said, I almost put him down as my pick on this list too. Frank, let's go into your good fit. Yeah. So I have Michael Pittman of the Indianapolis Colts. He was drafted with the second pick of the second round. And I'm not going to sit here and try and tell you anything that he did in college. I don't watch college football. I'll be perfectly fond, uh, honest with everybody. I focus on the NFL. I focus on the NBA at that point, but based on everything that I've watched afterwards, his tape, 
his, you know, reading about him. He can play inside. He can play outside. He's a jack of all trades, but master of none. He's got size. He has good hands. Uh, they've comped him to someone like Keenan Allen, and now his quarterback is Phillip Rivers. And I think if you're looking about at this from a dynasty perspective as well, I mean, T.Y. Hilton has been banged up. He's getting up there in age. So I see opportunity here for Pittman. And, you know, just based on the things that I've read and, and the highlights that I've seen, the talent just looks off the charts. So I don't know what was wrong with him to to slip to the second round of the actual NFL draft. Maybe it's because he doesn't have that one redeeming quality that makes him super elite but I just think that he's someone who can do a little bit of everything and I just really like the offense that he landed with I trust Frank Reich I would trust Frank Reich with my kids I mean I don't even have kids I might just make him my godfather I don't don't, like the guy is just super smart and he like gets the best out of all of his offensive weapons so uh, Michael Pittman you know he was the one I was hoping would actually fall to the Jets in the second round but I knew there was no chance it was going to happen but I I love the the fit with just Frank Reich as his head coach there well, it's interesting, you know, you're talking about that you were surprised he wasn't a first round pick. Obviously, we had what I think it was six receivers in the first round. Yeah. So let me look at these receivers. Real quick. I mean, most of them, not all of them, but most of them are they kind of fit a different prototype than we're used to. Right. It's it's that new age receiver that we're talking about. So when I talk about so you look at Tyreek Hill as he's kind of set a trend, you want that. He's not that six, four guy. He's that speedy undersized guy and we've seen a lot of teams go for that like we look at rugs rug was the first guy off the board because what is john gruden chasing what does mike mayock want he wants the next tyree kill and Ayuk players like that i mean we're seeing these like slot style receivers that really are the wide receiver ones for their team um so it's just it's kind of we're getting into this new era where the 6'4 receiver isn't looked at as that prototypical wide receiver one. But really, all the tools that Michael Pittman has, has really has him as a first-round grade. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Phillip Rivers has always had a similar, like, archetype for his, for his offense. It's a big tight end, or at least a re- reliable tight end. It's a possession-type receiver, a receiver that can fly, and then a big body that can get up and get those 50 50 balls that can get those red zone targets and that's what the Colts have done for Phillip Rivers now so I love this fit for Pittman he's going to slide right in I would think um, opposite of T.Y. Hilton so you're already seeing the path to targets for Michael Pittman so I I love that Ben what do you think about Michael Pittman what's your um, analysis on him as a um, as a prospect yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I think uh, I think Pittman again. It, it brings that Mike Williams style player uh, to Rivers. Uh, we know Rivers is a gunslinger. I don't think he went to the Colts to just all of a sudden all of a sudden start handing the ball off a bunch of times. Um, you know, you take the good with the bad with Rivers, and um, you know they they needed somebody across from Ty last year trying to bring in Funches um, to to fill that bigger uh, receiver role. Obviously, we know how that worked out. Um, so I think this is a smash fit for Pittman. Uh, it's definitely a guy that, um, you know, I've thought about, uh, you know, drafting in that early second um, and, and even late first, depending on the format. 
Um, but I, I, unfortunately, I feel like I've gotten sniped in every draft uh, trying to pick him up. But I think he's a phenomenal fit. Um, you know, he was a productive receiver. Uh, he obviously ca- comes from an NFL bloodline as well. I always think that's an underrated piece, just understanding the professionalism uh, and, you know, working with a, a veteran like Rivers. It, it's going to, you know, teach him the right stuff, being along T.Y. I think he's, you know, it's big for me to match these guys up and, and learn from the right people coming in to the league. So, um, yeah, I think it's, there's a huge need there with the Colts. I think obviously them bringing in, you know, having that one, two punch of, of Taylor and, uh, and Mac, uh, is going to be, uh, nice. Cause you're going to see some one-on-one matchups at six foot four. I'll take that all day. Man, the Colts could win this division. The Colts could really win this division. And, you know, I mean, before Andrew Luck retired, we were talking about Super Bowl hopes for that team as they were building the offensive line and finding their way on defense finally being, you know, uh, suitable on that side of the ball. If they can figure that out, man, they, they really could make a run here. Um, and I think they have a chance at that division for sure. I mean, it's wide open um, with, uh, with, I mean, I think DeAndre Hopkins leaving was huge for the Texans. Um, so I, I think that's wide open for them to take. Um, I'm going to talk about J.K. Dobbins real quick before we move on. J.K. Dobbins, any running back, that was drafted by the Ravens, you can argue great fit. So it's kind of a cop-out that I'm using J.K. Dobbins in this light, but the Ravens have had a lot of running backs in the Harbaugh era, and I don't know if they've had anybody like J.K. Dobbins. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong on this, but this is a guy who he can be a bruiser, but he's, he has that breakaway speed. That's what I love about Dobbins. So I think that he is about to be the steal of the first round in most rookie drafts because in the two that I did, he either went at the 108 or the 107. And you got Jonathan Taylor, you got Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who are one, two. I don't know anyone else is disputing that. I know, Ben, that you said the Cam Makers went <laughs> over Clyde Edwards Hilaire, which, you know, look. I think if you're the Daryl Henderson owner, maybe there's appeal there. Maybe you see that, but JK Dobbins should be in the discussion with those two and he's not. So you're getting that automatic discount just because of those two players right there. And also because we all see Mark Ingram as the guy right now, but you give that one year and JK Dobbins is in a great situation. Um, I think we can all see that now the offense at Ohio state predominantly out of the shotgun with fields of running a lot of that run pass option. And it just is, it's going to work with what Lamar Jackson wants to do. He's going to find ways onto the field in year one. Dobbins is going to be fantasy relevant in year one. Uh, I think it was Gus Edwards last year. I think he had like 130 carries. I don't have it in front of me. Um, so I think you're going to give most of those to JK Dobbins this year. He's going to find ways onto the field. And then you have one injury to Mark Ingram. You're loving what you have with Dobbins because all that opportunity he's going to eat up. Um, I, I'm just loving the situation. Um, and I think that people are skeptical because of the 2018 season with Mike Weber. Mike Weber had 172 carries and 954 uh, yards. He was also a fourth year junior and JK Dobbins was a sophomore. So in JK Dobbins freshman year at Ohio state, uh, he had 194 attempts for 1400 yards. 
in that 2018 season that's in question, he had 230 carries. So they increased his workload while using Mike Weber because I think they understood that it was Mike Weber's last year. And again, J.K. Dobbins is a sophomore. Ben, I want you to speculate on this. I mean, does, is that a red flag to you that Mike Weber got as much work as he did? Because to me, it was them saying, hey, this is Mike Weber's last year. Let's use him. But we know that J.K. Dobbins is going to get that 300 carries when Mike Weber is gone. What was your perspective on that? Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Yeah, I you know I I don't look too much into that. I think uh, you know the coaching staff, uh, you know a lot of them in college are, are doing a better job um, to save these guys and, and kind of mix it up a little bit. And you know I think for the recruiting, when you think about recruiting, right? If if you're just giving the ball to one guy only and uh you know not really worrying about the rest i think it becomes a really tough sell when you're going out there and trying to recruit you know when you see some of these top end programs bringing in you know three or four or five guys at the same position some years so um i I think you know yeah if a guy's been there and and he's earned it like you said um with mike uh, i think that's that's a part of it so it doesn't concern me but i also think from a recruiting perspective you know if if you're a coach you want to keep your guys fresh as possible um, but you also you gotta you gotta spread the love a little bit, or you're gonna have a tough time on the road for bringing in new recruits. Yeah, I'm super excited uh, for Dobbins this year. I think there's no way he gets less than 10 touches per game. Uh, you have to see what you have in him and, and get him that experience for the future. Uh, but potentially, you know, as a rookie, if, if there's an injury to Ingram, you have a guy that could be a league winner for you. Anytime you're a partner in a, a running back, that's gonna open up lanes. Uh, because of you know playing with Lamar Jackson that's that's just massive in itself Uh, so I'm really excited about that that guy and I think uh, I think Dobbins could be a running back that we look back on in a couple years and he's the top guy out of the draft due to landing spot and talent I've never been a proponent of drafting handcuffs but we're getting into and we're going to talk about this a little bit with the running backs actually we can talk about it right now I mean teams are using multiple running backs all over the league That's not new news. We all know that. So we need to adjust in fantasy, right? And in dynasty, it's huge because when you're making that first round commitment on a running back, you have to understand that his time in the league is just what it is. I mean, we're looking at players like Todd Gurley, who had that first round pedigree with being compared to Adrian Peterson as one of the greatest of all time, potentially. And it just changes very quickly with these running backs. So I'm looking at Dobbins right now as the handcuff to own in fantasy for redraft. And you know that he's going to get some standalone value there because of the amount that the Ravens run the ball. They are the, they run the ball the most in the league, them and the Seahawks. And we know that Lamar Jackson is involved with that. Um, that shouldn't shy you away from J.K. Dobbins. You should embrace everything that Lamar Jackson gives you for his running backs. Um, and if you're scared of Mark Ingram and you, you drafted him maybe in the fifth round in the redraft league, you can get J.K. Dobbins a little bit later. 
12th round, maybe in a redraft league, he might be able to just do that. And like Ben said, he could just give you 10 carries a game just like that. Those could be very, very significant. I mean, we know what did the Ravens do last year? They were blowing out teams. You know, what, what, what are they going to do? They're going to pound the ball with Mark Ingram. No, they're going to give the ball to Dobbins. They're probably going to use Hill a little bit, but I don't see him getting the workload that Dobbins is going to get. So I'm very excited about Dobbins, not only for dynasty, but I'm looking at him as like, I want to get him at the end of my redraft leagues. Yeah, no question, man. I mean, the Ravens run game, I mean, it's going to keep on trucking. So, and these are running backs. So, I mean, you know, I talked about it uh, when we were, when we were off the air before we started recording and I had a uh, rookie draft just yesterday and I actually took Dobbins because I'm the Ingram owner and that's, you know, that's just kind of some built-in insurance, you know, but it's also, it's good equity for when Ingram does move on. I mean, Dobbins is going to be a stud, absolute stud next year. I mean, he could be a guy I wouldn't even be surprised if we're drafted in the second round back of the first next year, if he just absolutely explodes in the back half of the 2020 season. So yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I took him at the one Oh five, if that tells you anything, but uh, I mean, every draft it's like him and acres are going, you know, back to back in some way, shape or form. Yeah, I think I'm a little biased because I, I think Dobbins is, you know, I, I think he, I have very high hopes for him right now. So I was expecting him to go around that 104, 105 in a lot of these drafts, but I'm seeing him slip, especially in Superflex. In your 1QB leagues, he's probably not going to pass the 104, 105. He shouldn't. Um, but I'm thinking about, you know, man, he's going to get, you know, snatched up at that 105 and then he slips a little, you have to jump all over that. If you're drafting in a rookie draft and you see the 105 has gone off the board and Dobbins is still there, trade up for that 106, man. You'll, you'll be doing yourself a service. Um, let's get into this draft recap for the hot take pros versus Joe. So let's set the stage a little bit. Of course, Frank Stanfield is in this league. Uh, we have Marcus Grant, Mike Florio, uh, both good friends of the show, and Josh and myself, which make up the pros side. Uh, Coach Ben Eby leads the way in the Joe's side. Um, so we had some uh, listeners that were able to participate in this league, um, and we're really excited to have them. All of them seem very savvy, very anxious <laughs> and eager uh, in this chat. Um, Going to give myself a fit with these guys, man. <laughs> um, but, you know, so set the stage for this league. It's a super flex league. Um, we're doing 0.5 uh, points per reception. We're doing a full point tight end premium. And we have 0.5 points per first down. Um, so obviously you want to think of running backs, third down running backs. You want to think of the tight ends, the possession receivers. They're all going to have a little bit of a boost in their uh, fantasy output. Josh, what were your thoughts going into this draft? And let's just talk about how the draft went in general. Yeah, I mean, there was my goal drafting from the sixth spot. You know, really, I'll just be honest. The only thing I like about drafting in the six or seven is you're you're going to be right there in the middle and you can kind of get in on any position runs that might be taking place. Um, but my thoughts kind of going in were as I, you know, I, I didn't think I would get Mahomes or Jackson and that was absolutely the case. Uh, both of those guys went before the one Oh six. Um, and then I just kind of thought in my head, it was going to be down to a couple of saints. It was going to be between Kamara 
and Thomas and with some of the scuttlebutt there before the draft about Kamara potentially being on the trade block. Um, that was enough for me to kind of go with the sure thing. I, I mean, coming off of an absolute monster season, um, you know, I thought Michael Thomas was pretty much my best bet there. Um, you know, even over an option like Kyler Murray, um, you know, I know it's super flex, but I just thought that going with Michael Thomas was going to be uh, my best bet at the one Oh six spot. But um, you know, I didn't really want to go receiver heavy, um, but Hey, you know, best laid plans, right? Yeah. And this was, you now you drafted Michael Thomas before the James Winston news, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Now, yeah. yeah I mean, you just have to love that. Now, like, I was going to ask you actually like, well, what do you think about, you know, Drew Brees, this could be his last year. Um, but now we have Winston and I'm just thinking like down the road, if Winston plays for the saints, uh, you know, let's say he gives you two years with the saints, Michael Thomas is going to have some really nice years. I don't know if you can exceed what he did last year, but you're going to get a lot of high volume uh, seasons with, with Jameis Winston and it's going to be a very exciting time if you're a Michael Thomas owner. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of the risk that you think about when you are going to invest your first dynasty pick in a Michael Thomas or Alvin Kamara, but Hey, you know, both these guys are tied to the same quarterback. So for me, um, you know, I did consider Nuke Hopkins for a minute. Um, but you just being that, you know, he and Thomas are the same age, um, you know, Hopkins has a little bit of a more tread, um, you know, that he, or I would say, you know, he's been in the league a little bit longer, uh, but it's, you know, he had to kind of run that QB gauntlet, like you guys mentioned <laughs> earlier on. Um, whereas Thomas has always just had the, you know, uh, I would the privilege, I guess, or, you know, the, the setup of playing with Grease. So for him, you know, you could just only imagine, the, the knowledge that's being passed on to Michael Thomas through learning from a guy like Drew Brees since his rookie year. So it's, he's a guy that I love. I do have him in another, our next fan up uh, podcast dynasty league, but definitely wasn't afraid to take him and get another dynasty share of Thomas. Frank, you had the one Oh three going in. Were you set on Patrick Mahomes? If he was there, I was going to take a quarterback regardless, whether it was Mahomes or Lamar Jackson. Uh, And knowing that I had the third pick, if those two guys went off the board one and two, then I would have just taken McCaffrey. But obviously I expected McCaffrey to go at one of those first two picks. So to get Mahomes with the third pick in a six point passing touchdown, super flex dynasty, it was just, it was no brainer for me. Uh, I know, you know, some people might question uh, Mahomes over Lamar Jackson, but I think the six point passing touchdowns. And look, if we're being honest, I think from a dynasty perspective, Pat Mahomes might have more longevity than someone like Lamar Jackson, just based on, you know, some of the quarterbacks that we've seen in the mold of Lamar Jackson in the past, the Robert Griffin, the thirds, the Michael Vicks. I mean, things happen uh, to running quarterbacks. So that was something that was in the back of my mind, but I knew going in that I was either going to take one of Mahomes or Lamar Jackson, if they were there at three. It's hard not to pick Lamar Jackson because he is such a weapon in fantasy football because he acts as not only your quarterback, but a running back as well, giving 1,200 yards last season. Um, And I don't know what's stopping him from putting up another 1,000 yard rushing season. Um, So there was no consideration, let's say one and two Mahomes and Jackson go off the board. There would be no consideration for you for Kyler Murray at the 103. That's a fair question, uh, especially given the 
the weapons that he has now. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins coming over, but uh, still second year quarterback. You know, maybe I need to see it before, you know, actually him taking that step. But I would have taken Christian McCaffrey. That would have been the pick for me if those first two quarterbacks went off the board. And, and look, what you said about Lamar, look, in redraft, no doubt about it. I'm taking Lamar Jackson. He's the first quarterback off the board for me. But just given that this was a, a startup dynasty setting, I do think that Patrick Mahomes is safer in this type of format. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think there are different uh, different opinions on that. But I agree with you completely. Um, Ben, same question to you, because I know that you draft really, you drafted really quarterback heavy in this league. So I want to ask you the question. Just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little heavy. (laughs) Um, you drafted Kyler Murray at the one ten. a same question to you. If both of those quarterbacks are off the board and you're at the one of three, and I have been seeing Kyler Murray go off in the top five picks in Superflex, would you consider Kyler Murray at the one of three there? Uh, the answer would be a heck no. Uh, definitely, it would, it would have to be McCaffrey. I mean, you could probably go get uh, Kyler Murray plus plus, right, in, in a trade. So uh, even with the six-point touchdowns, uh, you know, I, I think you said it best. It's, you know, he, ha- he has to show us first. And, uh, I'm super excited a few picks later. Uh, but with Christian McCaffrey and, and Barkley sitting there, uh, uh, even if it was at the one of you know one oh four spot, I probably would be taking Saquon. So, so not to bury the lead here, but Ben shook up the entire draft, um, and we really want to talk about this. So the one ten, it's Kyler Murray, and he swings back around to the two oh three, Deshaun Watson. So you have to love that start in a super flex. Now, in redraft, I've talked about all the time. Josh talks about it. I've ever since I've started the hot take in redraft, I'm drafting quarterbacks late. So having that mindset and being one of the last person to draft a quarterback going into a super flex league, you have to make that adjustment. And I at least have had the chance to do this already in a super flex where I'm drafting and I'm like trying to wait on quarterbacks. It does not work. You have to get a quarterback early. You have to at least solidify that first quarterback and even the second quarterbacks go because of people like Ben. <laughs> so let me continue here. So uh, the 5'10", Daniel Jones, 6'3", Drew Locke, 7'10", Ryan Tannehill. So three more starting quarterbacks for the foreseeable future. Um, and in Dynasty, you really want to be looking at the next three years. I would say it's safe to say that these are the starters for the next three years. Um, Ryan Tannehill's locked up, um, and they're really not moving around that contract for three years, it looks like. Um, so what was the thought process, Ben? Did you know you were going to do this going in or was it just kind of how the draft played out? It, it was a hundred percent how the draft played out. So going in, um, my ideal from, from that position, uh, would have been Tyreek Hill at the one ten. Um, that was kind of the thought before the draft started. I'm like, I'm going to get Tyreek. Of course you had to go and snipe me there. Um, I also did not expect Kyler Murray to be on the board at 110. Uh, typically in some of the startups in Superflex I've been doing lately, um, he's going anywhere in that 105 to 108-ish kind of range lately. Um, you know, there's quite a bit of hype ever since uh, Hopkins going over there, rightfully so. Uh, they're adding up some weapons around him. So uh, between you taking Tyreek at the, the 109 um, and, and Kyler Murray being there at the 110, um, I did take a quarterback first and, and I haven't done that before outside of a Mahomes uh, being available. So Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, if one of those guys is available early on in the draft, no matter where I'm drafting, I'm taking them. I'm a Mahomes over a CMC guy in, in Superflex. So um, 
this was an interesting start. Now, I still wasn't all in on the quarterback only, and I've never done this in a draft before, but I've seen guys like John Hogue do it. I've researched a lot. I'm, you know, I'm all over Twitter. So uh, pay attention to a lot of these mock drafts or, or actual drafts where people are sharing the information. And it was, uh, it's definitely, you know, an interesting way to go about it. I really like my ability to go out there and, and build relationships with other owners in the league um, and trying to find that middle ground uh, as far as trades go. So um, yeah, how it started to work out is, you know, next pick comes up and I'm like, you know, Joe Mixon is my guy. That's what I'm going to take. It'll be a phenomenal running back. I'm really high on going into the season with Burrow there. I think that offense is going to be much improved. Boom. Sniped again. Mixon goes at the 202. I'm back at the 203 and I'm like Watson's there. All right, here we go. And at that point I started going, okay, these running backs are going right. Um, the running backs started going pretty fast. So Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders to Frank, um, who we'll get to all in the second round. Yes. So, so they start flying. I think uh, part of it is, is you mentioned earlier, there's a mix of redraft talent and experience in here. Right. So in redraft, typically we're going, you know, pretty heavy after running backs early. So I think kind of that mixture and, you know, these are some great running backs that went as well, um, but the run of running backs definitely went early. And I'm like, okay, I can either start settling and, you know, going after some guys that I might not be a hundred percent sold on, you know, um, you know, you got your four nets that is a great talent. Don't really know his situation right now. Your girlies, your singletaries, um, you know, just a lot of these, these guys, even Eckler went like, and I'm an Eckler fan. I mean, what he did last year was incredible, but to go at the three Oh five, that's the highest I've seen him go yet. And, and you guys may have seen him at, at that spot, but typically I'm seeing him probably more around the fifth. So that just told me we're going to be, we're going to be on a run for as long as there's running back. So at that point I, I jumped on the pick, um, the second overall pick um at the uh 310 there um and then i got i had to get my guy i had to get my guy dk i'm a huge dk fan um you know and and i really think that uh, he showed us a lot last year and and i'm really excited to see him build continue to build on that relationship with, with russell wilson and then after that it was like game on boom daniel jones Boom in the six, Drew Locke, which worked out really well. I've getting trade offers almost every day on him. And then even Ryan Tannehill, I think he's a supremely, supremely undervalued quarterback. Um, you know, we still think of the Miami days, but he looked amazing. And from, I believe it was a week five when he came on, it might be off on the week, but right around there, he was, he was ranked in fantasy points, I believe number seven overall for the rest of the season. So um, they invested in him, obviously, and, and I'm excited about him going forward. He's a little bit older than my other quarterbacks, but he's only 31. So, um, so I'm really excited for that one as well. And that was my last guy. So gives me, gave me some ability to go into other positions with trades and knowing how far we are out from the season and kind of not being sure when the season's going to start for sure. Um, it started to make sense just to build up overall talent and being six point passing touchdowns and quarterbacks, it, it just kind of started to make more and more sense as I went along. Frank, you were able to get Patrick Mahomes, like I mentioned, and then at the 303, you get Dak Prescott. So you lock up your two quarterbacks. Every other quarterback that's picked, are you kind of like, okay, that's good because that leaves me these skill position guys? 
Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, I didn't even want Dak Prescott at the 303. I kind of, I don't want to say it was a panic pick, but there wasn't really anyone on the board that was jumping out to me, honestly. And I told uh, Michael Florio this, a good buddy of mine, we text back and forth a lot throughout the draft. I was hoping for one of DJ Moore, Mike Evans, or Travis Kelsey to come back to me at the 303. And lo and behold, three of the four picks at the turn were DJ Moore, Mike Evans, and Kelsey. So I would have taken any one of those players if they fell to me. Uh, just, I mean, if I had Mahomes and Kelsey in a tight end premium, I, I would have loved that. Uh, yeah. DJ Moore in, in Dynasty, I, I see a lot of people have him ranked, you know, almost a top five receiver in Dynasty, which is just crazy. But, uh, you know, consensus top 10, top 12 wide receiver. Mike Evans, some question marks there. You know, Tom Brady doesn't have the same arm strength as someone like Jameis Winston, but I still do trust the talent overall of someone like Mike Evans. I don't mind him going in the third round of startup dynasty leagues. So, I mean, at that point I was like, all right, I'm just going to take, I'm just going to rack up my quarterback six point passing touchdown. Dak was the QB two last year. I mean, this was before they, they wound up drafting CD lamb. Uh, so that worked out. But I mean, even at the time I knew that they had Amari Cooper and they had Gallup and, you know, Dak just continues to get better every year and he can make plays with his legs and that adds to his fantasy production overall. So that was, I mean, to me, he was just the best player available. So that's why I wound up taking him. And in between those picks, or I guess like sandwiched in there, you take Miles Sanders at the 210 and Kenyon Drake at the 410. Now, Co- uh, Ben, you put out a, uh, a little uh, questionnaire. And one of the questions was, who's most likely to win it all this year? Frank was mm. the one who was picked the most. And I think that these two players are going to be the ones in question because, I mean, look, Miles Sanders and Kenyon Drake, I think there's so much variance right now in where they should be drafted. There are so many different opinions on Miles Sanders and Kenyon Drake, but what I've heard for both is that each of them should be a first round pick in redraft leagues in 2020. Do I disagree? Yes, <laughs> but their outcome could be top 10 running backs, both of them. So how are you feeling right now with both of them? Like, I think that we both, we, everyone can see that the talent is there. It's really just tough because we haven't necessarily seen a full season of each at that running back one type of production. Fit from that. And I've really done a 180 on the Eagles running back situation from years past because I was always anti Doug Peterson. Always. I was like, this guy is such a headache for fantasy purposes because he, he runs by committee and he had all these guys in the past, uh, Ryan Matthews, LeGarrette Blunt, and it was a headache, but things changed with Miles Sanders because that was the earliest that he had drafted a running back during his regime with the Eagles. And just the talent level, you could tell when Miles Sanders is on the field, he's a different running back than anyone that we've seen with the Eagles under Doug Peterson. So, I mean, to get him at 210, I think in redraft, and I said this towards the end of last year, I thought he was going to be a borderline first-round pick. The NFFC ADP has him at at 12.8 right now in redraft. So, I mean, he is close to that borderline first-round pick. To get him here at 210, I loved it. Kenyon Drake, we spoke before uh, we started recording, and I was considering him at the 3-3. So he came back to me at at the the 4-10, and I don't know that there's a better feeling in fantasy, anything, fantasy football, fantasy baseball. You're considering a player a whole round earlier and you're on one end of the draft and he comes all the way back to you. That is the best feeling in fantasy sports. So I got Kenyon Drake there. Uh, and this just goes back to my hate of Adam Gates. Like the guy didn't know how to use Kenyon Drake. He goes to the Cardinals last year, shows what he's capable of. I think that offense takes another step under Kingsbury. They got DeAndre Hopkins. 
even if you project conservatively for 15 or 16 touches per game. And again, I think that's really conservative in that offense. I think Kenyon Drake is going to do a lot of damage. So at the four ten, no brainer for me with Kenyon Drake. Yeah. I was a little cautious with Kenyon Drake um, going in as far as where I um, thought he should be in the draft Four ten, that that's a little late. I, I think that he's more of that early fourth round in a type in the, in a, super flex type of situation. He was definitely like more of an early fourth round, late third round type of guy. So he definitely fell for whatever reason. I think that there's just, like I said, there's still the speculation um, of him being able to do it in a full season, but the situation is great for him. I will say that I did draft Chase Edmonds. I think that people aren't necessarily thinking about the other running backs, but they did draft Eno Benjamin. They do have Chase Edmonds um, and nothing is really stopping them from using any, any of these backs. So we'll see how that shakes out. Kenyon Drake is by far the running back one in this offense, but you do have to look at those two guys as, you know what, they could get some touches. Um, Josh, did you know that you were going to get the one Oh one going into this startup draft? No, the, <laughs> To to look at this after five rounds and only have <laughs> receivers and rookies, um, you know, it was, a, it was a bit of a panic. Um, but, you know, after Frank had taken Dak, uh, that's who I was looking at at the 3-6. Uh, and I just, you know, I love Josh Allen, but, you know, I, I just, you know, maybe I made a mistake, but, you know, I, I felt like if I took the 101, I'd have my choice of, you know, Burrow or Tua. Um, and I kind of liked that option better than Josh Allen, to be totally honest. And of course I did end up taking Burrow with the one-on-one. Um, so this, you know, just, I, I would have rather had Dak in that spot, I guess, but you know, as, as the draft played out, um, I was, I was very excited to get uh, Juju in round two. Uh, you know, he's only 23. Um, I mean, I think there's like a couple rookies that are as old as Juju <laughs> coming into the oh, league yeah. right now. Um, and my boy, Kenny Galladay, who I won't talk about because we we seem to land on talking about Kenny G uh, quite a bit on the show. But, um, you know, so taking him and then getting another rookie pick, uh, you know, there in the fifth round, um, I, I felt like I would still going to be able to, to make that work. Um, and I felt like the turning point uh, in the draft was that, that five, six turn, uh, that Ben was talking about when he took Jones, um, you know, one of our, uh, guys, Stefan in the Joe's division, uh, he actually went and double tapped quarterback after taking Baker Mayfield the round before. Right. Uh, so, you know, we went from, uh, suddenly, uh, still a pretty robust QB market there at the five ten to, uh, five, uh, or I should say six of the next seven picks, uh, going off the board. And I think a lot of people were like me and they were hoping to get Drew Locke in the sixth or seventh round. Um, yeah, I had my eye on him in the sixth round there. And of course, uh, Ben pulled the trigger. And I, I think that's about the time everyone else started hitting the panic button. Um, you know, I saw you took Rogers. We had uh, Bob, our friend Bob Lung from uh, Big Guy Fantasy took Drew Brees. Uh, then I took Jimmy G, which was made me throw up in my mouth a little bit, but it was <laughs> it was either Jimmy G or Kirk cousins. And I thought, well, you know, I, I mean, I mentioned it earlier when we were talking about IU because I think that the Niners are going to be a little more pass centric this year. I don't think they're going to hammer the ball quite as much. Um, 
it definitely, I know that's Kevin Stefanski's out of Minnesota, but Jesus, man, like the idea of Kirk Cousins maybe taking eight, 10, 18 passing attempts in a game was just like it's ingrained in my mind. So, um, you know, but he, he goes immediately the pick after that to Florio and I'm thinking, oh, maybe I just made a mistake. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, Teddy ball game goes off the board. So we, we saw an epic QB run there in the, uh, in the sixth round, but, uh, you know, all in all the way it played out, uh, with Jimmy G getting Burrow who ended up basically being my third round pick and, uh, you know, the, the mustache mania as my QB too. Uh, completely happy with that. Um, of course, it would have played out better had I got Dak in the third round because uh, then I, I snagged uh, Dalton very, very late, who is now a cowboy. But, uh, well, you know, I got Andrew Luck on the bench for insurance, so we'll see, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, but yeah, overall, really liking the team. Um, did not intend this strategy at all, but you know, with, with Juju and Kenny G being the values that I thought they were. And, um, you know, Bob took Matt Ryan in the fourth round, uh, right ahead of me. And he was another guy that I kind of had my eye on. So it just, just ended up being a little bit later on the quarterback position for me, but happy walking away with, uh, David Montgomery, uh, Damian Williams and Jordan Howard as my, as my top three running backs. Yeah. I mean, Michael Thomas, Juju and Kenny Galladay, you, I mean, that trio is just what it is. Uh, it's just outstanding in dynasty. And especially if you could say before 2019 that you got Juju at the 207, I mean, you're loving all that because in 2018, you couldn't get Juju at the 207. So you just look at that integrated value with Ben Roethlisberger missing a year and seeing a year of Mason Rudolph and uh, Hodges throwing Juju the ball. You see what that did. Um, so you have all great points with Juju who you got to jump at him at the end of the second round. I mean, you have to love that, that value. And he's going to be around there too. in redraft, it's going to be an awesome pick for your team to be able to pair him, especially if you get a stud like Michael Thomas, Oh, that you got to love that all day with uh, Ben Roethlisberger coming back. So the way you played this, and let me just say that we actually picked the rookie picks in this startup draft. So, Josh was the first one to pick, so he got, got the 101. At the 306 in the startup, he picks the 101 in the rookie draft. And at that point, Josh, you said, okay, I'm going to get Joe Burrow at the 101, and that's my first quarterback. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's, it's not an ideal scenario to have a rookie, you know, going in being one of those guys that's going to be in your in your super flex spot. And, you know, maybe, maybe he is, maybe he isn't week one, of course. Um, you know, with all the uncertainty of, you know, is there even going to be training camps? I mean, is it, you know, what, what's it going to even look like and you know, everything going on in the world right now, it's uh, it's kind of, you know, a little uncertainty there, but at the same time, you know, Burrow's been studying the Bengals playbook, you know, ever since basically uh, the national championship celebration ended is what he was telling people. So he's, he's been diving in. And I mean, if you were going to go after a guy, um, why not a dude that just slung like 60 TDs and, and took home the, the national championship and just made, made fools out of everybody, you know, doing it along the way. I mean, just an unbelievable season. Um, you know, it just basically my decision was between Burrow or, or Tua. And, you know, with, with the way that the startup draft shook out, um, you, you, my roster needed a Joe Burrow. That's definitely going to be, the starter in day one. Right. Um, I, I couldn't necessarily wait for that year of development uh, in a year of Fitz magic in front of Tua. 
um, if that's even how it goes, even though I do think that's in the Dolphins' best interest. But um, great pick for the Bengals and the Dolphins. But for me, you know, I just kind of – I had to make that move and go Burrow myself. Yeah, and you mentioned the quarterback run in that sixth, seventh round. So, Ben, obviously you were kind of orchestrating that sort of thing. But then uh, uh, Stephen James comes in and also, like Josh mentioned – um, goes quarterback, quarterback, quarterback himself in the fourth, fifth, and sixth. So that made things extra difficult for people who haven't quite swiped up their second quarterback. So in the sixth round, you know, I'm thinking just like you said, Josh, I guess we were, everyone was on the same page and that's why Ben got so many, uh, messages about Drew Locke. We were all thinking, okay, well, at least I can get Drew Locke as my quarterback too. Oh yeah. Guilty. Guilty. Yeah. I, was, I, I was sending right. messages. Ben, ben knows. Oh yeah. No, no. I think everyone is a little guilty <laughs> of uh, sending Ben a message for a quarterback here at this point, but it makes sense because I had to get Aaron Rodgers as my quarterback too. And now, you know, they go out and draft, the Packers go out and draft Jordan Love. So I have questions about Aaron Rodgers right now that I didn't before um, just because I think that there's going to be a weird sort of energy with that team this year. It's either going to be like, okay, Aaron Rodgers, let me go out and prove that I'm still the man and it's going to be an epic season, or it could be quite the opposite where we see the end of Aaron Rodgers in green Bay, which that could happen. Uh, It doesn't seem like these, the coaching staff and Rodgers are on the same page right now. So, yeah, like nothing we, about the Green Bay draft made you feel better about that pick. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> that's good. That's correct. Um, anything to add here uh, real quick, Ben? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, if you have any concerns on Rodgers, I know a guy that might have some quarterbacks available. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just talk to me real quick about your thought process on um, – on your team right now, as it stands. So as you've drafted all these quarterbacks and let's get into the trade that you made with Marcus Grant. Um, and just talk to me about yeah. how your team is looking right now. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, I think when, <laughs> once you commit to that strategy, you gotta, you gotta find some partners that need some quarterbacks. It might, um, you know, have some excess at a, at a position of need. So, um, I did not, my best running back that I drafted, uh, was Gus Edwards. So that doesn't scream a uh, contender by any means. Um, so obviously with uh, quarterback, I was looking to uh, find a way to go after a running back. I did have on the second pick. Um, I, I knew there was a good chance that Burrow was going to go first, um, which, which was great for me because it allowed me to pick up uh, Jonathan Taylor there. Um, and, and then I made that trade. So I, you know, I had people reaching out about Drew Locke. I had a ton of people reaching out about Daniel Jones as well. I think he's a, another upside guy, Danny Dimes there. Um, so we're excited to see him continue to progress. Uh, but yeah, Marcus reached out and we ended up coming to agreement. So I ended up trading uh, Danny Dimes, who I'm a big fan of, um, for Melvin Gordon, who I think is one of the most underrated running backs right now. I think there was a, he lost a lot of value obviously holding out a little bit there. And, and I don't think he's really regained that with Eckler, uh, you know, picking up steam and picking up where, you know, Melvin Gordon left off. But now in this Denver Broncos uh, revamped offense, um, there's a ton of passing weapons, but let's not forget what the core of this team is built around. It's, it's going to be a, a running team. Philip Lindsay will still um, take a chunk there for sure, but I'm excited for Melvin Gordon. I think he's really underrated. Uh, so I picked up Melvin Gordon, 
as well as the ninth overall rookie pick, um, which I, I was thinking it was going to probably be another receiver, um, but I was thrilled to see Cam Akers fall to that spot. Uh, so I was able to pick up Melvin Gordon and Cam Akers for Danny Dimes. So um, that really worked out well for me, as well as drafting at the number two position with Taylor. So drafting Gus Edwards as my best running back and ending up with JT Akers and Melvin Gordon, I could not be more thrilled for that. All right. So Frank, when you saw that trade pop up and that was Daniel Jones for Melvin Gordon and the 109 rookie pick, which of course ends up being Cam Akers, what was your thoughts when you initially saw that? Uh, yeah, I was surprised. I mean, to give up your basically in the startup draft, he gave up his fifth round pick in Melvin Gordon and his sixth round pick, which ended up being the rookie 109 for Ben's sixth round pick, which was Daniel Jones. So, I mean, just in terms of like draft equity, it seems like Marcus might have overpaid a little bit to get his quarterback. But I guess ultimately that's what Ben was trying to do, which was corner the QB market and get people to overpay or rather it was your fifth round pick. You took Daniel Jones at the five ten. Um, yeah. But the one thing I will say about that is, and don't tell my jet fans friends this, I think Daniel Jones is going to be a monster. I, I, just, I think he's going to be great. I just, what you saw last year, 24 touchdowns, the ability to run. He did all of that as a rookie. He had like three different games with four or more passing touchdowns. I think, I mean, second year, I, I think that he's just going to take off. So, I mean, I love Daniel Jones in Dynasty for redraft. Uh, I mean, QB in general is just absolutely loaded this year in one quarterback leagues. It was a lot to give up at the time. But, hey, if you like Daniel Jones, I, I don't mind, you know, paying the price to get him because I think he's going to be really, really good. Oh, yeah. I mean, Daniel Jones uh, is one of those guys that you can get at the end of redraft leagues and he can be a top eight quarterback this year in 2020. So you have to love that from the redraft appeal. He's in his second year. Um, you know, so from the dynasty perspective, all around, you're really seeing, you're getting great value on Daniel Jones. And I, I think that, you know, that five ten pick, you know, we're going to look at that next year. You're not going to be able to get Daniel Jones there at start in startups that, you know, so, so that's, I think what Marcus was seeing because to give up Melvin Gordon, uh, and the 109 is pretty steep. Um, ben, was were you were you? I, I don't want to say surprised, but was that like by far the best offer that you thought you were going to get? What were you trying to make you know get for for a quarterback? Yeah, I don't know. Again, you know, I didn't go into this draft expecting to draft this many quarterbacks. It just kind of worked out that way. I, I knew um, right away with Dan, like literally. 10 seconds after I drafted Daniel Jones and owner reached out and was like, Hey, I'll give you my next pick plus, I don't know, future third. And, and obviously it wasn't even in the ballpark. Right. Um, but I knew right away that he was a guy that's, that's up and coming. I, I do target him in, in some of my other super flex leagues. Um, and, and then drew lock that next pick. Um, those are both guys that my hope was they continue to just build value and, and, um, and I was willing, once I started committing to this quarterback, um, kind of run, I was totally willing to sit back and, and just, you know, earn a, earn a higher draft pick next year with the talent that I had and, and a lack of running backs or be ready for the opportunity of, of getting a couple of running backs and seeing if I had a chance to compete. Um, so yeah, so I, I didn't expect it. Um, but I was willing to take whatever was on the table if the run, right running backs were there. But I was also willing to be patient and kind of, uh, you know, almost punt on year one and 
pick up a, a Trevor Lawrence and a Justin Fields on top of what I already had next year and then really uh, see what happens. Yeah, I think you walked away with a great, great deal there. I mean, to get Melvin Gordon, then to be able to turn that 109 in the Cam Makers, you got two running backs off the jump. Um, so really nice for your team. Um, any other thoughts from either Frank or Josh for the start before we move on to the rookies and wrap this up? No, I just wanted to say that I was debating taking Danny Dimes at the five six, and uh, man, I uh, I think I made the wrong choice after <laughs> after seeing the the haul that Ben got back. Um, was was kind of jealous, um, but at the same time, you know, lesson learned. This is my first startup in about four years that I've done, so uh, it was awesome to do. You know, everyone was super active, and uh, I just thought that it was a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, we had even more fun in the rookie draft, um, and I just want you to tell everybody about the trade that you made to get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and why you made that trade. Talk about jealous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, well, the, the reason, the reason behind it, um, you know, I, I knew I was going quarterback with the, uh, the one one that was, that was already basically not an option. Um, with looking at the rookie picks that were available, um, you know, I was trying to, uh, move up and, uh, I had the one Oh five as well. Um, but I knew that, the the owner that had the the 104 was uh actively getting offers and you know i just had to make something uh that was going to work out and i had the 206 i believe um and then i also had um you know my third rounder and uh wanted to give up uh i'm i'm having trouble i'll be out totally honest with you. i'm having trouble finding the trade now um but I gave up, you know, more than a fair amount to, to move up, you know, a couple spots. And uh, CEH is just a guy that with me having Damian Williams on the roster, um, if we see a scenario like 2019 play out where, you know, he gets a hamstring injury or he sprains an ankle or something that's like short term, um, you know, we're not going to see the committee approach that Andy Reid used last year. I mean, I think these guys are both going to be involved a ton. I know Williams was like the playoff hero for them, but um, yeah, I expect CEH to get a nice workload. I mean, Andy Reid running backs, baby. That's That's been my game since like the mid-2000s uh, in the Brian Westbrook days. So I'm all about that 19.5 points per game. Um you know, and thinking more so like even next year, uh, I just, I don't see any way that, you know, if, if Damian Williams is, is gone next year, then there's no way Clyde Edwards Hilaire is not a first round pick in 2021 redraft. So you moved up and you knew I found it. I found the specifics on that trade. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So it was the, uh, 104 for 107, 206 and a 2021 fourth. That little cherry on top. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Definitely. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, you know, I think that I was trying to move up to that 104. I was definitely considering it because I had the 105. You actually had the 107, I think, Josh. Right, right. Um, and I, I was like, okay, well, I want CD. CD is my guy. I knew I was reaching for CD. But when you have the opportunity to get the running back for the Chiefs, you that, that changes your thought process a little bit. Um, Frank. 
you wanted to talk about Clyde Edwards Hilaire on the, originally at the beginning of the show as a, as a great fit. So talk to me about Clyde Edwards Hilaire and why he was a great pick at the 104. Oh, I mean, it was just an absolute slam dunk. I'm surprised that he actually lasted that long uh, in the rookie draft. I know it's super flex, but uh, Tua went 103. Um, and Ben, you could talk about taking, you know, Jonathan Taylor at 102 there uh, over someone like CEH. But I mean, look, it's just the Andy Reid offense, what he's done with running backs. He's already saying that CEH is better than um, Brian Westbrook, which like set off Brian Westbrook. He went like crazy after that. <laughs> but um, I mean, 55 receptions last year at LSU. And now he's joining an offense with Pat Mahomes, where Damian Williams has been used. Uh, as a pass catcher a lot the past few seasons it just it's awesome it's just ch is is just a perfect fit for this offense and one of the best offenses in the nfl right now i will say like his redraft price is already like pretty insane he's like a second round pick in drafts that i've seen in redraft and this isn't even like super flex it's just regular drafts i think that that's kind of crazy for uh for for ceh this early but uh, I just think it's a great fit, uh, but I, I wouldn't pay that price. I, second round in, in redraft just seems a little bit too early for me. Oh, yeah. It, it, the, the hype is real right now. I mean, it's the Patrick Mahomes effect. It's that, that offense that you want a piece of, and everyone knows it. That's why Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was instantly everyone's 101. Um, it could have been DeAndre Swift. It could have been Jonathan Taylor. It could have been anyone that would have landed on the Chiefs they would have been the consensus 101 for anyone who's thinking, look, I want a piece of that offense. Real quick, Ben, you're at the 102, and we're talking on draft night when that pick happens. Obviously, you know, we're waiting for a pick like that, right? All night we're, you know, and CD was great. Jalen Rager was great. All the, but, I mean, CEH to the Chiefs was, was the icing on the cake. It was that, that splash move in the first round. I thought you were going there for sure. Um, talk to me about why you drafted Jonathan Taylor over him. Yeah, I think, you know, 0.5 PPR played a big part for me. Um, you know, all the metrics are there for Taylor. That offensive line with the Colts is is phenomenal. Um, I, underrated for the future. Uh, I am a big Jacob Eason fan. Uh, I think his arm um, with he needed a landing spot like where he went to learn from a guy like Rivers. So I think future wise, uh, he's a guy that's going to be able to light, up, light it up and uh, love Pittman going there. So just as a whole um, I, I like the direction of the Colts. I think they've done a, a really good job um, of recovering from a, a craziness of Andrew Luck retiring and those kind of things. So um, it's a challenging uh, situation there. But Jonathan Taylor, for me, once it's a 0.5 PPR, uh, you know, really does the trick. I, I also think Damian Williams is still a guy that isn't just going to disappear as much as we uh, love the landing spot. And I have a ton of, you know, Kansas city guys on my rosters, but, uh, so I'm a huge fan of both. I'll say that, uh, CEH is a, is a guy that I do own in a couple of my leagues. Um, but with this format, even with the first downs added in there, um, I just could not pass up on Taylor and, um, you know, pre-draft CEH was probably a late first guy is what we were seeing. Um, you know, so yes, the Kansas city landing spot is phenomenal. Uh, but I do have a hard time, um, dropping a guy like Taylor, uh, in this format, uh, with a, what I see as a really good landing spot as well. I like it. Frank, talk to me about your uh, thoughts going into the rookie draft and what you did, what you were able to do in that rookie draft. 
Yeah. So heading into the rookie draft, I had five picks. I believe I had the 204, the 208, the 304, the 308 and the 406. So I didn't have a first round pick and I was all right with that. Um, I liked the way that the roster turned out in the startup draft. Um, and going in, I mean, I knew that, you know, I needed to get some youth at wide receiver. So that's what I was targeting. Uh, and honestly, you know, I was kind of trying to make trade offers to the 111 at the time, the 112. I hit you up right before your pick to try and acquire that pick. I, I tried to DM with Marcus because I, I wanted Henry Ruggs, which, you know, some people are iffy about the fit there with, you know, Derek Carr, Marcus Mariota, don't have great arm strength. Uh, Henry Ruggs is a burner. But, I mean, if you're looking for a wide receiver who has the chance to become an alpha for his team and, and potentially just demand targets, yes, Darren Waller is there. I think just in terms of opportunity, Henry Ruggs is in one of the best spots, uh, even for the future. I don't know that Derek Carr is going to be the quarterback long term. I mean, they might look to draft a quarterback early next year, first or second round uh, with the Las Vegas Raiders now. So I, I was trying to trade up. So I, I was very surprised and very excited to get Henry Ruggs at, at the 204 at my pick. And I was right there at that 203. You, uh, you wanted to move up and get it, but I was at that point, I was actually considering uh, Brandon Ayuk, who we talked about earlier, who I really just am a big fan of. Um, I had already gotten C.D. Lamb, and the, the way my thought process works in fantasy, even though I was really leaning towards Brandon Ayuk, I really can't pass up the opportunity with Denzel Mims as being what he can be. Um, I kind of compare him to Hakeem Butler last year without the draft capital. We wanted Hakeem Butler to be something that he really couldn't be. Um, And I don't think we're going to have the opportunity to see it anytime soon with Hakeem Butler. Denzel Mims is in a different situation. The Jets just don't have a lot of receivers um, and you know, they're in a situation where they can throw out people like, you know, the first year receiver to get targets, um, because they want to see what they have. They want to see what they have in their young quarterback. They want to see what they have in their young talent. Um, and I, I think that that opportunity is there, but I'm just projecting for the future with a guy like Denzel Mims, who I I'm seeing, like I'm, I'm in the camp of, of you that I hope Adam Gase leaves, for the Jets' sake, you know, and if he does, then you're looking at a nice, solid career for Mims and what he can be. So I'm looking at like, all right, I want to pair C.D. Lamb with that explosive play that which Henry Ruggs can be. But to me, Mims was that guy. Um, Josh, between those two, Denzel Mims and Henry Ruggs, like, were you looking at either of those guys? Um, let's say if you had a second round pick, which, which one would you take? Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a great question. Um, just because of the way that the offense is set up, um, you know, I probably would be leaning more towards Mims, but uh, at the same time, like if I'm in that spot where both you and Frank are drafting that two, three, two, four, like you cannot let Henry Ruggs get past that spot. Like that's like you have to take him at that point. I mean, he was yeah. the just for just from a pure draft capital perspective, I mean, obviously the Raiders believed him in enough that they took him over Lamb and Judy, and that says a lot, man. I mean, when teams are willing to pay up and uh, and pony up like they did, you know, say what you want about the the Mike Mayock, um, you know, decision making, but it's 
it's it's just a, it's a guy you have to be targeting at the beginning of that you know that second round and um honestly if frank didn't take him i was going to be trying to acquire some uh some picks to get up there again but uh i knew i knew that the uh the ammo was running low for me to get to get back up there so uh but then frank pulled the trigger so i i wasn't thinking about it anymore at the end of the second round, Ben, you were able to get Brian Edwards, another uh, wide receiver that the Raiders drafted. Talk to me about Brian Edwards and what you envision his role in this offense to be. Yeah, that's a smash pick for me uh, at the end of the second there. I think it's a guy that we are seeing in drafts start to uh, fall, uh, but he also could go as early as that mid mid second. So um for me it's a guy that long term i love his outlook there in vegas uh, as they improve that quarterback situation in the future i could see him being that 1a um i think it's great that hey he's playing across from rugs i think that only help you know helps him and, and they both make each other better with that but he's that dominant guy who broke out really early in college um and, and those kind of things matter so um i just love what i see he's not a burner but he doesn't have to be that's not his thing so he's just a dominant receiver and and he definitely has the talent to be their uh their top receiver uh in the future another really talented guy that i want to talk about is tyler johnson who you know at one point you know tyler johnson was being talked about as one of the better wide receivers in his class um this class is really good i think we could be looking at this class as you know, not quite the 2014, but somewhere like a tier below it. Um, And Tyler Johnson, you know, just because of the reputation off the field um, and what has transpired in the last couple of years, his value has plummeted. Um, So now he ends up being, I believe, a fifth round pick by the Buccaneers. And he's, you know, you're going to be able to get him at the end of the third round very easily, even maybe into the fourth round right now, where, you know, this time last year, two years ago, you know, you weren't, you were be not talking about that. You're thinking he's going to be more like that first, second round pick. Um, so now like, that's just a kind of opportunity with any of these wide receivers that you're drafting in the third or fourth round, they could be a complete bust. Um, even NFL pe- receivers that are drafted in the first round in the NFL draft, are busts. I mean, it happens more frequently than you might think. Um, you know, there was players like what AJ Jenkins that was, that were coming out because now they're comparing, you know, what could happen with a right. You know, well, the 49ers drafted uh, a guy named AJ Jenkins, who was a complete bust. Uh, but Tyler Johnson, they, they, the Buccaneers wanted to pick him and he has, what does he have as far as potential in fantasy? He has the, the appeal of a slot receiver in a Tom Brady offense. So um, Scott Miller, who, you know, was maybe looked as like, okay, maybe he can win that role. Who's going to be that slot guy. Are they going to bring in Chris Godwin to that slot? Probably. But Tyler Johnson at least can compete for that um, and have reps with Tom Brady in that slot role. So I think year one, you know, you might not see um, a lot of that, but, you know, going into year two, if Tom Brady's still doing his thing, um, you're going to want that role. If he's out there on three rece- receiver sets with Godwin and Mike Evans, I-, I like that a lot for Tyler Johnson. I think that, you know, I think a lot of people are going to look at Tyler Johnson right now and just overlook him. They're going to overlook him completely. I don't think you can do that. You can't write him off yet when his career hasn't started. Yeah, that's fair. Um, 
I love him. Yeah, I, I a huge talent. And then the fact that he plays a slot role, you got to love that. Um, another guy I want to talk about real quick before we get out of here is Josh Kelly. Um, and we talked about Austin Eckler earlier. He was taken at 305 in this draft. Um, Austin Eckler, he got paid $24 million over four years, which is about average. You know, it's not anything that says, okay, he is our workload running back. He's our workhorse running back. So they draft Josh Kelly in the fourth round. And I think that fourth round, that's about the time where you're like, okay, actually they may want to use him. Um, And, you know, anything below the fourth round you're looking at is, okay, it it would be, you know, he he has a lot of obstacles uh, to make it into the rotation. But I, I like Josh Kelly a lot better than Justin Jackson for the role that you can see, you know, kind of paved out because Austin Eckler, we know they want to target this man in the passing game. I will say he's going to get a significantly less uh, target share than he got last year with Phillip Rivers. Now that Tyrod Taylor or Justin Herbert are going to be running the show. Uh, so you already have to look at maybe, you know, he's going to get less targets. Well, then you bring in somebody like Josh Kelly, who is a bruiser. He's that stout running back who can be a thumper um, and he can take 12 to 15 carries going into you know game one week one so i like josh josh kelly a lot i think you can get him um even an early third round pick that's fine i was able to get him at the 304 i was surprised i did get him over aj dylan uh we will see uh if that you know i I would say that aj dylan has all of the upside in the world um so if you're going for that look i I think three years from now who's going to be better yeah, it, it could easily be A.J. Dillon, especially if you think he could have a big role in this Packers offense. Um, Josh, were you looking at somebody like um, one of these third-round running backs? There were a lot here with Eno Benjamin, A.J. Dillon, Josh Kelly, Anthony McFarlane. Was there any one of those backs that you were looking at? Yeah, I don't have much to add about the guys you brought up already. Uh, I do like Eno Benjamin a bit, kind of for the same reasons that you mentioned when you were just talking about um, – um, oh my God, uh, Josh Kelly. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think there's a chance that both those guys could usurp the backup role. And that's kind of one of the reasons that I like Benjamin. You know, uh, I mentioned that I was trying to get Tyler Johnson in the draft, uh, that same MFL draft that I was referring to that started yesterday. Um, and Tyler Johnson went at the 311 in our rookie draft and that, so that same draft. So I ended up taking Benjamin uh, at the end of round three, of course, he went in the middle of round three in our in our rookie draft. Uh, but I think that there's some really good upside there and some potential. I mean, Chase Edmonds hasn't been the, you know, the portrait of uh, perfect health. But, yeah, I, I love Benjamin. I think that he's a good guy to get there. Um, don't, don't mind Darrington Evans. I know Jeff Lambert kind of talked to us about Darrington Evans as well. And uh, he's a guy that has a, a phenomenal shot at getting some, uh, some, you know, decent run in his, in his first year. I mean, they, they don't have uh, Deion Lewis anymore. So uh, could definitely look at Darrington Evans as being a guy to really offer some potential there. For sure. Hey, Frank, do you have any final thoughts on how this rookie uh, draft went? You mentioned that you haven't done a dynasty draft in a while. Um, so do you have any thoughts on some of these rookies and this rookie class in general? I just wanted to add that in rookie drafts, I think people at times are willing to overpay for rookie draft picks. And a lot of it is, you know, 
it remains to be seen because we got to see how these players play out and how these draft picks turn out ultimately. But uh, heading into this draft, I had Cooper Cup, Michael Gallup, Adam Thielen, and Will Fuller as my top wide receivers. So I mentioned heading into this draft that I wanted to get some youth. Uh, I wanted to get some wide receivers. And I ended up trading in this draft. I traded Michael Pittman, who I do like a lot, and the 308, which turned into KJ Hambler for Stefan Diggs. And again, it's like one of those where, yeah, like Pittman might have higher upside long term, but Stefan Diggs is someone who I've seen be very productive at the NFL level. You can worry about, you know, Josh Allen as the passer, but he's going to an offense where he's going to be the number one guy. He's still just 26 years old. So, I mean, that's the last thing I wanted to add here about rookie drafts is that I think at times people are so excited to just get rookie draft picks that they're willing to give up proven talent that, in my opinion, at 26 years old, Stefan Diggs is still really, really young. So I, I just wanted to kind of put a little bow on that and kind of point that out for anyone who might still be doing their rookie drafts. Uh, and last point uh, for, for Ben, Ben Jefferson at 403, I thought was a great pick as well. Yeah, no, I think uh, I was definitely excited to get Van there. Um, you're seeing him drop into the fourth round in quite a few drafts, which is crazy, but he goes as high as the early third for some of the savvier uh, owners out there. Um, but having a wide receiver coach for a dad, a uh, phenomenal opportunity this year to win wide receiver three in St. Louis. Um, and then potentially, are they going to pay cup or not? You know, he has that same type of skill set. It, it's potentially a long-term fit as well. So great route runner there. So we'll see. I like the opportunity in the fourth round though, for sure. Uh, but I did want to, I did want to throw out one thing for everybody real quick too. Uh, so I, I was lucky enough to get two of my favorite uh, guys and, and these are kind of some rookie fever guys for sure as well. Um, but Antonio Gibson, I got at two twelve, and then Lynn Bowden jr. Uh, the first pick of the fourth round. So two guys that were like, are they going to be a running back? Are they going to be a wide receiver? Uh, but with how the NFL is just, you know, finding playmakers, period. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on those type of players uh, this year? I think that there's a little bit of risk initially because you run into how they are going to be used. And if they're going to be used as a gadget type player or a situational type player, that's not appealing. I mean, you know, if you're getting them in the fourth round in the rookie pick in the rookie draft, that's fine. And it depends on how much you're actually going to use them in that sort of situation. Now with Gibson, it kind of looks like there's an opportunity to be the pass catching running back. Right. So if he's that guy, you got to love that. Um, I love the, the option for our running back wide receiver designation. Um, but it just remains to be seen, you know, it's tough, you know, when we're diagnosing it right now, because these guys are so talented, they, you know, you have great college resumes, but as soon as it hits, you know, the pros, it, it no matter, it, it really, you need to be set up for success. Um, if you're a prospect coming into the NFL that wasn't drafted in the first round, you have to be given the opportunity because a guy like Antonio Gibson with all the talent in the world, could be in a terrible situation with the Redskins. It's not like these guys have been able to utilize talent around them. Now, yes, it's been unfortunate. You know, when you look at somebody like Darius Geis, um, nobody can help, you know, injuries. But the Redskins could completely fail with somebody like Gibson. And you look at, the, at Lynn Bowden, it could be the same thing. The Gruden could certainly fail and just put in Jalen Richard 
and never give Bowden any run. You know, it, it really could happen. So it's tough to say with these guys. I think both dudes have a lot of upside and I think they're great picks at the end of the third, fourth round. Nah, I mean, uh, Gibson is one that I'm seeing a ton of hype on just on Twitter and, and rookie drafts in general right now. People are really, really hyping him up. Um, but yeah, look, I think it was well said how you put it regarding him. We got to see, you know, how Washington plans to uh, deploy a weapon like that. A lot of it comes down to the health of Darius Geis. But I, I think, you know, based on what we've heard thus far uh, and the excitement around him, like they're going to find ways to get the ball in his hands, whether it's, you know, a few carries per game, a few receptions. Maybe he turned into like a Debo Samuel type, you know, Swiss Army knife for for Washington. But uh, yeah, I mean, he is one that I'm seeing a lot of hype right now, just in terms of dynasty and rookie drafts as well. The role is definitely. Yeah, I think uh, Rivera just mentioned, uh, you know, some of the similar skill set to McCaffrey. So if there wasn't hype before there, there darn sure is now. Most definitely. And they need that role right now. Chris Thompson is now in Jacksonville. Um, So you're going into this season with, okay, who are the running backs? It's Adrian Peterson still. (laughs) And until he breaks down completely, he's going to be the guy, the lead guy for carries. Uh, They need somebody in that pass catching role. Uh, Frank Stanfield of CBS Fantasy. I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Um, can you just tell everyone where they can find your stuff right now um, during the pandemic, where they can find your content? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me and, and thanks for putting this draft together. It was a ton of fun and I was happy to do so because, you know, again, ha- as I've mentioned, uh, you know, I haven't been in a startup dynasty draft in a while. So I was very happy to jump in here and do this. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at Roto underscore Frank. I'm the host of Fantasy Baseball Today over at CBS Sports. That's our fantasy baseball podcast. So no baseball going on, hopefully soon. I mean, if you want to talk about some KBO, maybe come <laughs> come listen as well. But uh Yeah. Uh, happy to happy to do it, man. Uh, you can find my my writing over at CBSSports.com. I'm still putting out some baseball articles every single week. Uh, so a lot of baseball content. And I, I assume once the football season comes around, I'll be doing some football content for CBS Sports as well. Hey, well, good news for baseball, though. Uh, you know, whispers are out there that the MLB has a legitimate plan to get the season started by July 1st. Oh, gosh. Cross your fingers, man. Say your prayers. Eat your vitamins. Let's get it, man. We need some baseball. <laughs> I hope so. Oh man. Uh, Ben, uh, before you get out of here, where can everybody find you on Twitter? Yeah. At Mr. Underscore EBY. So, uh, yeah, always willing to talk up strategy. Uh, no articles from me at this point, but, uh, been in the game 10 years strong now with dynasty. So, um, definitely, uh, loving it. I'm appreciative to be in this league, uh, with some great owners here and, and looking forward to continue to learn and, and chat it up. So hit me up anytime. Great follow if uh, you want Dynasty advice. Um, Josh, my man, how are you holding up in these times, man? Do you have anything coming out with Fantasy Pros right now? No, I've uh, I participated in a couple. I'll be doing some rookie mock draft articles, uh, kind of like some of the collaborative pieces that you guys see that are really popular. So I'll be definitely contributing a, a little bit here and there. Uh, no pieces uh, all to myself, um, kind of laying off the baseball content this year, but uh, really excited to have it back in our lives potentially here in a couple months. Most definitely. Yeah. I think it's a good sign uh, that, you know, there's a plan in place right now, Uh, not just for the MLB and sports, but just for, you know, everyday life for us. If you look at the uh, MLB as they're, you know, trying to reopen, I think that's a good sign for everything. Um, Be on the lookout for the uh, Roto Underworld draft kit. Uh, I'm going to be participating in some videos 
uh, and some writing for the draft kit this year. Very excited to do that with uh, Matt Kelly over there. Um, be on the lookout for that. And then, of course, all of our content uh, for the hot take. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. My name is Steven Troni. This has been the Hot Take Podcast.